There's always been such great wonder and awe around Christmas time. It's such a beautiful setting as we honor and celebrate the first Noel when Jesus Christ came to earth as the newborn king. Of course, the whole story of his birth and the events that both preceded and followed it were all filled as well. From the angelic announcement that filled the skies to the magi visiting the holy child, bringing gifts for a king and worshiping him, there are many iconic events of wonder. And sometimes you read Bible passages like this a hundred times or a thousand times and you, you just get so used to it, you miss some of the intricacies that are in it. When I was reading the other day, I was, was struck by the fact that, again, I've known and heard this story many, many times, but when Mary and Joseph made it to uh, Bethlehem and nobody was expecting them when they stayed in a you know, a, a place out there because there's no room for them in. And, and when the angels announced his birth, it filled the whole skies. And there had to be the echo of chorus. How come not a lot more people didn't know about it in Bethlehem? How come the shepherds had to go tell them what was going on? Shepherd's Field, because we've been there, Shepherd's Field is about two miles from the Church of the Nativity where Christ was born, the, place, the spot built over you would imagine when that happened, it must have filled the whole skies all over. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes when they drop the bombs in Grayling that you can hear the bombs. Yeah. Yeah? It was only two miles away, and yet the shepherds had to go and tell everybody what happened because they didn't know what was going on. Sometimes people miss what's going on because they're just not expecting. And so even as you come today, do you come expecting, or do you just come because it's a time to go to church? Well, there's other things that are expected awesome and filled with wonder with the Christmas story. Something new as you read it again. Let me begin with part about Luke 2.15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. They were filled with great excitement because of their angelic encounter. The shepherds rushed to the site where Jesus was born. Luke 2.16 And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know, they got right there that same night and found Jesus. And yet King Herod, who sought to kill Jesus, couldn't find Him. Sent people all over the place, they could not find Jesus and they escaped by the grace of God out of the area. But when those who are expecting to meet Jesus, expecting to God to move, are given direction and given discernment to see Jesus. Luke 2.17 Now when they had seen Him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Filled with heavenly awe, they made widely known they told everybody. The shepherds traveled the whole area and told everyone they saw about the great and wonderful news. It changed their lives. It changed these shepherds' perspectives and their motivations. But then the rest of the story, Luke 2.18 and those who heard it marveled at all those things which were told to them by the shepherds. You see, the shepherds have been chosen to be God's mouthpiece 
to announce this miraculous happening to the world. And then in 2.19 it says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, while the shepherds could not stop talking about what they had seen and heard, Mary kept quiet and pondered all these things in her heart. Why did she not bubble over like the shepherds? It's because she had a different purpose. We all have a different purpose. She had a different calling. The shepherds had a specific moment with Jesus. Mary had a lifetime with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about when you sharing Christ with others or sharing your faith with others. There's somebody you might meet in a chance encounter. You might think it's chance, but it's a divine appointment. And you share something a little bit different because that might be the only time you ever see that person. But then there's others like your relatives and friends and family. You have a whole lifetime. You kind of have to rely on the discernment of God to tell you what to share and how much to share. We have different callings and different purposes. Just like Mary and the shepherds. But the part that really fills me with awe is this next verse. Luke 2.20 Then the shepherds returned back to the flocks, back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The shepherds witnessed the skies filled with angelic beings. They heard the birth announcement of the Messiah. They were empowered to go to Bethlehem and to see the Christ child for themselves. They witnessed the awe and wonder of the miraculous presence of the newborn king. And they told everyone they saw about what happened. And then they went off into the mission field. They talked all over the world. It's not what it says. See, there's times when sometimes we have an amazing event that happens to us and it doesn't mean we just change everything and leave everything. We still have responsibilities as well. They didn't just change everything and live off of that momentum. They went back to where they were called to be because their first calling was to be shepherds. So they had this incredible encounter. But then God didn't just say, now go over here. He said, now go back and to your responsibility. But still carry that light. They returned to the fields. They had responsibilities. They had flocks of sheep. Though they were moved by a heavenly announcement, they had to come back to earth or at least return to their position. Can you imagine having to return your job after witnessing something like this? I know you've heard it before. If I win the lottery, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. And someone says, oh no, I'm coming. I'm checking in at the coffee machine at 7 a.m. What is it that causes you to change your life but to still hold your responsibilities and know that God calls you to a circle of influence? It's easy to say, I'm going to go to far lands and tell people about Jesus. It's a lot harder to say, I'm going to stay where God called me and be a light for Jesus in my community. And I thank you for those of you who have stayed where God's called you. And we're thankful for those where God sent you as well. But when God calls us to our community and still be that light, still have that contagious fervor, that Jesus is the light of the world. It's what these shepherds did. They had this amazing announcement that they still returned to their flocks. They, and when they did, they continued to glorify and praise God for all that they had seen and heard. 
Even though they returned to their job as shepherds in the field, they continued to be filled with glory. How was that possible? Because sometimes we get back to our job or our work or our workplace or the holidays have died down and we kind of go back to that lull again. But they continued to be filled with glory. Why? Because they continued to tell their story. The reason why we fade and get dry and fall into temptation and feel distant from God at times is that we stop telling our story. The reason why we fall back into sin, the reason why we lose our self-control, why we become negative and complain is because we stop telling our story. The reason why we drift and wander and spend less time with God than we know that we should is because we fail to keep telling our story. There's one thing that we can learn from the shepherds. It's that as we continue in our daily lives, which sometimes we think are just mundane, as we continue fulfilling our responsibilities, you know your first ministry is to your family? as we continue fulfilling our responsibilities to our families and to our jobs and to our communities, we need to keep telling our stories. God put us in this place so that we would tell our stories of Jesus Christ in this earth. We need to keep sharing our testimonies. It's how we encourage one another. It's how we call to our own minds all that God has done for us. It's so important to remind ourselves of God's goodness and His faithfulness because the enemy is so quick to pounce on us to pounce on our despair when we're challenged he's so quick to fill us with doubt with when things don't go our way he's so crafty at getting us to question our faith and even our god when our prayers seem to go unanswered we need to share our stories and we too need to hear ourselves telling the story. The only way we can continue to glorify God in spite of all our trials and challenges in life is by continuing to tell our stories. With this in mind, I invite you to listen to a child of God who is on fire, who has been on fire, burning with passion to seek God more and more each day continuing to glorify the Lord and sing praises to Him. The reason he's able to do this is because he loves to tell the story of his personal encounter, of what Jesus did in his life and what Jesus does in his life every single day, even today. I pray that you will be moved by his testimony and be encouraged to glorify the Lord as in your life as well. So I present to you Scott Powers. Well, thank you so much for that, Brad. Um, yeah, as he said, it's always been, uh, or at least um, for me personally, it's been uh, to hear someone else's testimony and to be so privileged to give my testimony has just been the way that the Lord reveals things to me. Um, and I know being able to relate to some people who uh, may or may not have been through what I've been through, um, it's you know the only way we can defeat the enemy. And, you know, It says in Revelations, it's by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, that we can defeat him. So... Um, Although sometimes it's embarrassing and humiliating, uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor to share my testimony. So um, we'll start out with, I was born in a, a city called Lincoln Park, Michigan. 
Uh, it's just southwest of Detroit. It borders Detroit. Um, I was born in, in, into the church. My mother um, was a devout Christian woman, still is. Um, so I went to a church called Friendship Baptist, um, and I was just always involved. In it. I just loved being at church. My mom tells me, and has continued to tell me my whole life, that when I was three years old, I told her I was going to be a preacher. Um, I have no recollection of that, of saying that, but she'll never let me forget it. Uh, so here we are. Um, but um, so I can remember, even in my earliest memories, going to the church, loving the church, loving being around, um, and, and getting in trouble at church, like playing the piano down, and someone come in and yell, why are you playing the piano? Um, being three and not knowing what I'm doing. But uh, so anyway, I was uh, really, really involved in the church with my, my mother being the, 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 my rock, um, and always around the word, um, understanding who Jesus was, certainly, um, but one thing that you'll find is I never uh, developed a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Never. Uh, I knew of him. I knew his word. I was studied in some of the stories that I felt like there were um, fables or things that could teach you something out of the Bible. Um, but as far as actually living it and, and having a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord, uh, it never really happened. Uh, and it wasn't until later in life. But um, So growing up, again, I was a sports guy. Uh, going through high school, I played uh, football as a quarterback for my high school, and then I played hockey as well and baseball. Uh, I was also in bands a lot, uh, like rock and roll bands, thinking I was a punk rock kid, um, which uh, was great, but also kind of turned me away from the church. In a lot of ways, it's where I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, it was when I went to college at Eastern Michigan University uh, after my third year there that I unfortunately dropped out uh, due to alcohol use and cocaine addiction, really. Um, so it was in 2005 um, that I finally uh, said enough was enough. I uh, wanted to turn my life around um, and just started searching. Uh, I remember my dad had this conversation with me. He says, um, if, if you don't know Jesus, you need to find him now. Um, and taking that advice at 25 years old would have been important. Uh, and I did. I, I mean, I really did. I, uh, I got grounded with the church. I got baptized. My mother wasn't um, physically able at the time to baptize me, but she was there. As my uh, lead pastor, Brett Kays, baptized me uh, in May of 2005 at South Point Community Christian Church. That's in Trenton. It's kind of a, a bigger church. There's three or four different um, wings now. But um, So anyway, uh, everything changed, really did. Honestly, I devoted uh, what I felt like, I devoted my life to being a better person, to being a better example uh, that I could show others. Um, and the Lord blessed me, absolutely blessed me. I still didn't quite develop this personal relationship with him. I knew he was there. Um, I have this thing where I, I, I don't necessarily know where God is, but I know where God isn't. Like, I know when I'm in a spot, like, God's not in this, and I need to be away from this. So um, so anyway, uh, I was blessed, absolutely blessed. Um, I ended up meeting my future wife. Uh, we had a child together, uh, Alexander, who's now 11. Um, things were, were going well. Uh, I was in a car accident, uh, which I'm not blaming that for anything. Uh, it's the Lord's will that, that that happened. But I was in a really serious car accident. I was severely injured. Um, and being that I hadn't drink, had a drink or any kind of drug really since 2005, uh, when they prescribed me painkillers because I needed painkillers, um, it was just off to the races again. So here I was uh, saved, knowing the truth, um, and yet turning from the Lord and being uh, another uh, phase of my life where I was turning away from him. Uh, this pill addiction of opioids turned into a heroin, IV heroin use addiction, um, and it was horrible. It was horrendous. Um, I lost everything. And it really, uh, in 2011, I went in, into a rehab facility called Sacred Heart in Richmond, Michigan, 
uh, to a 30-day facility where they just kind of said, stop using drugs. Uh, and things got better. I was really involved in AA, tried to get back in church. I could stay sober for a while. I stayed sober for about five or six years. Uh, but my life was miserable. Uh, it, was, it was just what we call white-knuckling it. It was never being satisfied or filled, never having uh, a calling or a purpose, just not getting high. Um, and again, it was, uh, looking back, I, I know what the, the answer was and what I missed. So, so again, um, went through years and years of, we were married for eight years, um, and bless, God bless her, my ex-wife, she, she stuck with me through a lot of the things that I, I did. Um, and when the, fin- the final straw was that when I went, again, relapsed and went back to uh, taking pills and heroin use again, uh, and she left, and she took the kids and left. And that was that was the end for me. Um, I I had my son, and I'd never uh, he was seven, and I'd never spent a night without him under the same roof. I've never um, I never wanted to be anything more than a dad. Uh, if the only requirement for being a father was loving your child, then I I was really really good at it. Uh, but everything other than that, I was horrible. Um, so. Uh, the, the divorce happened, the separation happened, the divorce happened, and again, I don't hold any kind of grudge. Uh, I can't imagine, uh, it just praise the Lord, she was with me as long as she was, and again, it's the Lord's will, but um, it sent me personally uh, into a depression like spiral. That was it. Um, so instead of being on opioids, now I went to a doctor and said, listen, I, I'm depressed, I don't want to live anymore, I can't have my children, I'm crying every day, um, and here I'm, you know, I have a career, and, I, and I'm, I'm working for a company uh, it's called, it was called Amrock, or a title source, which is a, a, in the family company of Quicken Loans. So I'm working downtown Detroit, making really, really good money, still having the things, you know, cars and houses and things. Um, so I want to have a doctor tell me what's wrong. So he prescribes me something called Suboxone, which is an opiate blocker, basically, which is a medicine that you take so you don't take opiates, um, which is just trading one for another. And then, of course, antidepressants and sleep medication and things that I was told that I would just be on for the rest of my life, and this is what um, this is what your life is now. Um, so me as just a shell of a person, a zombie, without my children, without because I also had a stepdaughter, um, Gabby, uh, who's now in college. But um, so I had you know a house that I wanted to take care of that I couldn't, and an, and, a, and an ex-wife that I wanted to be in her life and I couldn't. Um, and eventually this this divorce it did get messy. Um, I ended up with half custody of Alex. Um, and visitation with Gabby, but um, that soon fell through. Another relapse happened, um, and this time that was it. Uh, I didn't want to live anymore. I, I was all done, so um, I did the things that a lot of us that suffer from depression and addiction um, do, uh, which is give up, and I tried to commit suicide. Um, it's not really easy to say that, but that's exactly what happened. Um, so uh, with with that... Um, I went to a place called uh, Stonecrest. Well, first I went to Henry Ford Wyandotte Hospital and let them know that I, I tried to die. Um, so they, that was where my psychiatrist was out of. And um, so he immediately sent me to a place called Stonecrest, which is a, a psych ward in East Detroit. Um, so I went there for nine days. Um, and I just couldn't find the will to live. I had no, no, no reason to want to be alive anymore. I was done. Um, and then they sent me back to that place called Sacred Heart in Richmond. Uh, Michigan, in the middle of nowhere, and I was there for 28 days. Um, so as, as I was there for the, that that stay, that time, I knew I was just going to go back to it. I knew no matter what, this is not, I'm missing something. I'm just going to go back to doing, um, living the way that I was and being in that mess. Um, 
and it was I was just so blessed to have an opportunity. Uh, the guy that was our a group leader, Tim, he was a, a strong Christian man, and instead of saying stuff like, uh, I'm a recovering addict or I'm an alcoholic, he would say, I'm delivered, I've been delivered. Um, and he kind of introduced me back to, to Jesus Christ and what that meant. Um, so then he uh, got on the phone with somebody called, his name is John Talley, he was the overseer at the Lions Den Mission Bible Training Center, and they said, hey, this guy Joe came from uh, Sacred Heart, and he's been there for two months. We haven't heard from him, but he's doing it, he's still there, so... Um, and Joe's sitting right here, so of course he led the, <laughs> led the way for me. Um, but I showed up. Uh, that was pretty much it. I showed up, and, and Jesus just revealed himself to me in a personal way. Um, the story of me getting to the lion's den is pretty uh, miraculous as well. Um, so and I, uh, we have to get blood work done. So now that I've been at the lion's den, and I've been overseer, and I've been there two, over two years, um, I know how this works on the other end. But when someone wants to come in, I, we need to have your blood work drawn. Um, we need to know, you know, if you're having any diseases or anything like that. So it's, it's very important. Well, me being in a 28-day facility, um, it's not the easiest thing in the world to go get your blood drawn and, and all that stuff. So anyway, we set it up to where um, I didn't have an ID on me. I didn't have anything at all um, to, my, to my name. Uh, they sent me to a place, uh, Concentra, I believe it was, was inside of a, or is in a hospital. So they sent me there. Uh, and it was just me and the shuttle driver, and he takes, takes me to this place, and I go sit behind the counter. I said, I need these tests drawn so I can get into this place, this 8- to 10-month program. And she says, yeah, your insurance doesn't cover you here, so I'm sorry, you're out of luck. And then someone comes up from behind, and as literally I'm sitting there getting ready to walk away, and she leans over. She goes, oh, wait a minute, what insurance do you have? And there's a cross dangling from her neck. And she says, oh, there's a place right down the street that takes your insurance, and they'll do it for free, and you can just have your blood drawn there. I said, thank you, you know, and so that was kind of weird, but okay. And then I walked back out into the shuttle, and I said, hey, uh, they can't take it here, but they could take it. It's like a mile down the street in the Walmart. There's a little blood draw place that they could take it. And the guy says, but man, I, I'll get in trouble. Like I, have a list. like, I can only go where they tell me to go and back. So let me call. So he calls, and they don't answer. And he turns around and looks at me, and, of course, he's got a cross dangling from his neck. And he says, you know what, I'll just take you. If I get in trouble, whatever. So then I get to the place to draw my blood, and I again, I have no ID. I have no way to prove that I am who I say I am. Um, and the woman comes out from behind and, uh, the, the counter and says, all right, well, you're up. She goes, I got you here. Um, looks like you're, you have this type of insurance, but I don't have any ID for you. Do you have a picture ID? And I said, no, I don't. And, of course, she turns, and there's a cross hanging from her neck, and she says, well, you look like a Scot to me. So all these mountains that the Lord moved just to get me there. And then my results got there, and everything was fine, of course, and praise the Lord for that. But um, it wasn't until I started started at the Lions then that the Lord, again, just started revealing to me through uh, the donations that come in from the community, through His Word, certainly. There's five and a half hours of Bible study that happens there a day. Um, and it was this Holy Spirit thing that I kept reading about as a child or as growing up in the church, and I just don't, it was, didn't make sense to me. Um, Holy Spirit, yeah, I get it. They looked like they were drunk, and they, they had the Holy Spirit, and that was what it meant. And then all of a sudden, uh, my life started to, to change, and it was inward. It wasn't anything that I was doing. I was just waking up and, and trying to do my best to fulfill whatever His will was for me that day. Um, but it was amazing. After two months there, I became a trainee, and I started having responsibilities. And this is coming from someone who, you know, I, I didn't want to live. So here I was, very shortly removed, that the Lord was putting new people that were coming in the program that were asking me questions and that were um, just unbelievable. And that's right around the same time that Brad came that he was teaching 
um, uh, Monday night class, I believe. And, I mean, I'm just diving in the Word. I'm just, everything is lighting up. The Lord is revealing these things to me through His Word and through prayer and through the people that He put in my life. And all of a sudden, instead of nothing was God, everything was God. Everything that happened on any daily basis, on my daily basis, was Him moving in my life. And Him doing something personally to show me and to tell me that He loves me and He's there. And that this relationship can, it, it's, it's amazing. And that's really what happened. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot to speak of. I didn't speak to my son. Uh, it was eight months in the program before I spoke to my son again. Um, so it wasn't like the Lord was blessing me with all these things that I thought were important. But he was blessing me inter- internally and giving me um, just confidence and strength and courage and, and things that I didn't have. Uh, the ability to forgive people that I would never have done. Uh, only with his forgiveness, right? And it says in Matthew 5:48, it says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, that scripture has meant so much to me in so many ways throughout, like perfect. No one ever has called, has called me perfect. And then it's like, well, he doesn't really mean perfect. He means mature, right? He means like you're becoming mature, like your father in heaven is mature. And it's like, so that's what I'm called to be. And that's what he expects of us. Um, and why does he expect anything of me? Um, so then it's just become, uh, one thing after another, as far as the Lord's putting things in my way. And it just, by being obedient, um, the Lord puts opportunities in front of my, my life. And, and when you're at the, Lions Den Ministry, after about six months, you become a trainee counselor, and you start to get behind the pulpit and, and share not only your testimony, but you start to share what you, what, how the Bible speaks to you, what, what you are learning from His Word, and, and, and these things, again, um, I'm just so blessed and grateful that I'm able to share and relate. And, and, you know, my calling, I think, was pretty obvious in the beginning, was these people that would come in and that were broken and that were, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I let them know that, you know, not only are you not alone, but you're in a unique position to where you can see God. Um, a lot of us don't get there. Um, so it wasn't only, uh, really, I, I graduated the program. I stayed on for staff. I did that for another 10 to 12 months. Then I stayed on and became the overseer of the mission, uh, which was really, really cool, a great opportunity. And as that was coming to a close, uh, this opportunity came where, where Brad came to me and said, um, you know, your, your name just keeps coming up to me in prayer. And I said, well, that's strange, because First Congregational has been, uh, I told Richard when I was, I, I think, a trainee. So I was there like four months, and I, we had a conversation. Well, when you're done, when you, if you were going to go to any church and become a member, what would it be? And First Congregational, of course, um, which was weird, right? Um, but that's God. It's just God moving. And Brad says, you know, I, we, there's this opportunity to come in for a ministry intern. Um, and doing praise and worship all throughout the churches, really in the area that we've done, um, is I've gotten to know uh, a lot of different churches and the, and the whole church community, really. And it's just been blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Uh, I now see my son uh, twice a month. Usually I go drive down to, to Woodhaven, Michigan to see him. Uh, his birthday was December 1st, where he turned 11. He just had a great Christmas yesterday. Um, and just, again, uh, I'm working full-time. I had a Christian company called Cornerstone Construction. Uh, I work here as a ministry intern and, and do some praise and worship. So I'm just just so blessed, honored, and privileged. And it's really all due to, I, te- I tell the guys and the, and the girls at the mission all the time, I literally wake up every morning and put my shoes on. That's it. It's what do you have for me today, Lord? I'm ready. And that's it. That's it. Um, we have this thing uh, where we think a white flag and surrendering is the last thing you want to do, right? It's like you're in a battle and I can't do it on my own. I can't, we, we can't defend the Alamo anymore. And then, you, oh, what a, what a pathetic thing we have to do is white, wave this white flag. When you're a Christian, when you're a true follower of Christ, Every morning, you should that's the first thing you should do. I'm done. This isn't me today. I surrender to you, Lord. Uh, let your will be done, not mine. 
Um, and trust me, I, I wish there was uh, maybe more time to share, but there are so many different ways that the Lord blesses me and just shows me every single day and reveals to me how much He loves me and how um, you know I would never want it any other way. So thank you guys so much for letting me share. I appreciate it. Well, hopefully you got to know Scott a little bit better. You've seen him in praise and worship and things around the church. And maybe you didn't know all that about him, but God has redeemed his life. He's given him purpose and given him a fire inside, a contagious fire that continues to go on as he, as he does love to tell a story. And yes, there are very humbling things in all of our stories, but praise God. It's just, it's just really a testament to what God can do in any life that no matter how deep you go, God can always go deeper as long as we turn to him and I would like to uh, offer a challenge. I'd love to have a testimony Sunday once a month. Different people kind of share their testimony. So if that's something you want to do and you want me to help you to craft that, please uh, see me. Anyways, though, the, whole, the, whole, the whole idea is that we need to continue to tell the story of what God is doing in our lives because somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear it. And that might be the key that opens the door, just like Scott, to finding every redemption through Jesus Christ. Amen? As we reflect on these words, I pray that God would speak to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless us, Lord God, even now through the words of this worship. God, we seek to be drawn close to you. We thank you for the redemption that each one of us has because of Jesus Christ. May you continue to live through each and every one of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.